I want to talk about two things which seem strange about mold avoidance when you first come to mold avoidance. They seem weird. They seem sort of like Alice in Wonderland. They're hard to make sense of. But if we put them in the right context, you will quick, quickly realize that they are a lot more normal than you thought. In fact, they're so normal that it kind of makes what the medical establishment tells us about mold seem like that's what's weird. And you start to sort of lift your head above the fog of propaganda and medicine and profit motives and all of these other systems that have sprung up in capitalistic medicine. And the way to approach this is really to come up with the proper analogies to frame it. And so when I when I thought of these analogies last night, I was like, ooh, this is what I need to share. And I, I think you'll be you'll be rather blown away by the simplicity and elegance of these analogies. So the two things we're gonna talk about are number one, the sabbatical, and number two, intensification. And these are generally two things which people think are weird, right? We think, oh, a mold sabbatical? You mean the way that I would tell if my house is moldy is to to just leave my house for a while rather than to do fancy testing? Ooh, that's weird. And then intensification is super weird. You mean that when I'm clear of mold, I'm going to be more sensitive to mold for a while? Ooh, that's weird. That's not what my doctor told me. He has 17.5 years of training. So you be the judge. And by the end of this podcast, I think you'll agree with me that it's an upside down world we live in. Um, you know, the Bible says the first will be last and the last will be first. And I, I feel like that's true with mold healing as well. Okay, so let's dive right into it. The first thing is the mold sabbatical, which is sort of the foundation of mold healing. And probably a lot of you guys have already heard about it. If you don't know what a mold sabbatical is, um, my free podcast episodes, I have two different kinds of episodes. I have free and paid. And if you scroll all the way back to the very first free episode, I think it's the first, first, second, or third, uh, you'll see info on the sabbatical. The short story is you take a break from your house and your belongings. You go to a hotel or you go camping for a week or two and you see if symptoms improve or more importantly, if you have a strong reaction upon returning to your house. Now, here's the analogy. Have you ever suspected that something in life is bad for you? Let's just call it a certain kind of bread or gluten or milk or vitamin D or vitamin C or uh, water from your pipes is making you sick or you think that maybe sitting in a movie theater is giving you a headache or I mean any number of things. You might be allergic to cats. You might, um, you know, you, you shouldn't eat too much before bed because it makes you feel bloated. Any number of things that you've thought just in general life, hey, I think this is bad for me, right? What is the number one thing that you do intuitively as a human being or even an animal? Let's just call it even an animal. If you think something is bad for you, oh, I bought those muffins at Whole Foods last week. I think they gave me a stomachache. I'm gonna see what happens if I don't buy them again, right? Not rocket science. Oh, you know, I bought this new house and every time I take a shower, in the shower, the water makes me feel, gives me a headache, makes me feel itchy. I wonder if there's heavy metals or some sort of toxins or copper pipes. Oh, I'll try to not take a shower in there for a few days. Oh, I think I'm allergic to cats. I'll just not go to my friend's house that has cats for a week or two and see if I feel better, right? 
Um, these are intuitive human things to do. Now, I'm not saying you wouldn't want to test the water in your shower or read the label of ingredients on the muffins to see what could be in there. Those things would be sort of akin to testing your house for mold, right? Getting a test. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. But the primary thing you do is to take a break from the thing that you think might be making you sick. And I mean, animals do this. This is not rocket science. This is intuition. You know, you will watch a dog do this. A dog will sniff the food and if something feels off about it, they'll try not to eat it. Now, maybe if they're starving and they have no other choice, but you could give a dog 10 different choices of food and you'll watch the dog pick which one that they they think is best, that feels best to them. And so sniffing your house out, so to speak, by doing a sabbatical is actually as natural and intuitive as you can possibly get. It is not weird. Now, what makes it seem weird is that our society and our capitalistic medical system and our doctors and our supplement companies and our mold testing companies say, oh, the way that you should find out if your house has mold or is problematic for you is just do a test, right? But we don't do that with anything else. If you have muffins that make you sick um, or celery or uh, whatever, you don't test it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't test it or you never. it would never be helpful to test it. I'm saying that's not the first thing that we do. We go, oh, well, actually, let me, let me just confirm that the muffins were the problem. And if they are the problem and I feel better after not eating them, then I'll go back and I will try to suss out, uh, inspect out, be a detective and figure out, well, what was the problem with it? But we do exactly the opposite with our houses. We, we test the shit out of them first. And then later, we might do a sabbatical. It's totally upside down. And I'm sure you guys can see the, the, the logic in this, right? Not to say that everybody can afford to do a sabbatical or it's easy or convenient. I totally agree that those things are not always the case, but let's start, right? Let's let's start the meeting. Let's start this city council meeting, this town hall, by at least agreeing intellectually that the first logical step when you think something is making you sick is to get away from it for a period of time and see if that changes your situation. Let's just start there. Let's start there. Let's just agree that that's the most logical thing to do. Okay, I I could belabor this a lot longer, but in the interest of time, let's move on to the second thing that seems weird but is actually quite normal, and that is intensification. If you don't know, intensification is the process where when you first begin mold avoidance for a while, um, mold feels worse to you right? So when you're in your moldy house, when you're very sick, the mold doesn't really feel that bad. You don't even know there's mold. You don't sense the mold, but you're just very sick. The more you get away from mold, you do mold avoidance. You start to unmask, which means you start to be able to sense and perceive mold for yourself. The more the body uh, wants to stay away from it for a period of time, maybe one to three years. That's what we call intensification. The reason it's called intensification is because mold exposure feels more intense. Now, one of the very interesting aspects of this process is that you feel better simultaneously. So people are like, oh, I'm so scared of intensification. I'm going to feel so horrible. It's so crazy. Intensification, it's horrible. No, it's not. You generally feel better. But in order for the body to maintain that healing trajectory and continue to feel better, um, it wants to avoid mold more. And this is another one of those things where people say, oh, that's weird. That isn't what my doctor told me. That doesn't make sense. I should start to feel better right away. 
And that's where this other magical analogy is going to really help us out. And the magical analogy is getting a scrape. Getting a scrape. You fall off your bike and you get a scrape. Skin that was otherwise healthy is now all scraped up. You know, it's not a clean cut like a razor blade. We're talking like a a gnarly rip in your in your skin. You know, you fall off your bike, you slide five feet on the gravel, and you know, I've had this happen because I'm a mountain biker, and your skin gets all gnarled up and and you know whatever. It's it, road rash. We call it as bikers <laughs> road rash. Right now, here's where we go with a very intuitive, simple thing that seems like it's upside down. But when you actually put the pieces of the puzzle together, it's actually not upside down. It's perfectly normal. What am I talking about? Let's say you're two weeks into healing from that road rash. And there's a scab that's formed. It's very delicate. The skin is starting to get back to normal. But you know that if you crash again or you rub it or you, you know, someone bumps into you, it's going to break the skin open. It's the same thing as mold avoidance, right? Mold has done damage to the body and the body needs to heal. And guess what? You can see this happening on your skin as things go back to normal. In other words, heal, good, feel better, skin is better, recovery, moving on with life, getting past your your skin injury. Guess what? Your skin is also more sensitive at the time. You put a Band-Aid over it to cover it up. You wear loose clothing. You're more careful about what you bump into. You probably take some time off of your bike. Why? Because we intuitively know that as the skin is healing, two things are happening simultaneously. Number one, it's getting better. It's getting better. And number two, it's more sensitive to being disrupted. This is not controversial. You know this. A headache. They say, one of my friends, when I was a kid, I had a friend who died in high school of what's called SIS, second impact syndrome. It's when you get a concussion and the doctor says, oh, you better be very, very careful not to go out and get a second concussion because while the brain is still healing from a first concussion, a second concussion can kill you even if it's not very severe. Even if it's not very severe. And unfortunately, that's what happened to my friend. He went wakeboarding and crashed on his wakeboard and hit his head on the water. And it would have otherwise probably not been that big of a deal, but he had had a concussion the week before. So he proceeded to spend eight weeks in intensive care and then pass away. It was very, very sad. But we know this in all aspects of life, whether it's a twisted ankle, whether it's a skin injury like we talked about, whether it's a concussion, as you're getting healthier, you're on the road to recovery. You're like, yeah. I'm getting healthier. Um, There's a simultaneous increase in aversion or sensitivity or reactivity to the offending thing. Now, that doesn't mean that the guy with the concussion has to avoid getting a scrape. No, it's the same thing that he has to avoid, right? So if you got a concussion, you have to avoid getting another concussion. If you got a scrape, you have to avoid getting another scrape. Hmm, interesting. If you have mold damage and mold toxicity while you're healing and simultaneously feeling better, you have to avoid getting more mold toxicity because it's undoing the damage in the body. Now, I could go into the theories that we have as mold avoiders as to why this is happening specifically, right? Like there are some pretty credible theories about why um 
why the intensification process happens in mold avoidance, but I don't think they really matter for this level of podcast and what I'm trying to accomplish here. It's not that important. You know, I I don't think we really need to even go there. Suffice it to say that the process of getting clear of mold and feeling better and simultaneously being more averse to mold and more affected by mold is logical and normal. And we shouldn't think it's weird. Just like we shouldn't think the sabbatical is weird, the other one that we just talked about. It's normal, it's expected, it's predictable, and it happens in every other area of human healing and recovery. Isn't this interesting? Doesn't this just make you think about how brainwashed we are about the topic of mold? Mold is the one injury where doctors say, this is different. You can injure yourself with a concussion. You can injure yourself with a skin in, a skin wound. You can injure yourself with A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y. But Z is different. And you're like, okay, doctor. But I don't, I'm telling you right now that I don't think that Z is different. I think it's the same. And for whatever reason, we just don't look at it as being the same. And I understand these reasons. I get it. Um, it's It's not easy to do mold avoidance and to, to, to do a sabbatical, right? This, the, the sabbatical is the other thing, A, B, C, all the way to Y. They say, oh, if the muffin is, makes you sick, if the water makes you sick, if this makes you sick, even a dog is smart enough to sniff it and walk away, right? But we won't do that, right? So that's, it's the same thing. A, B, C through Y is the same, but Z is different. Now, there are two questions here. One is, is it easy to do a sabbatical or do mold avoidance? And maybe that's why we have all this brainwashing because they're simply harder to do, right? But my primary interest in these podcasts is not to talk about feasibility as much as it is to talk about validity. Is this a valid approach? Because feasibility is going to vary greatly person to person. It's very difficult to cover feasibility, just like feasibility for anything in life is very difficult, right? Depends on someone's, you know, capacity and health and intelligence and motivation and how sick they are, how much money they have, how, what, what level of toxicity their, their, um, location is to start with, you know, do they have to move out of a horrible location or is their location fine? Their house is just bad, right? So, I can't be all things to all people. You know, I'm not going to make a five-hour podcast episode. So my interest in is talking about the validity of this approach. And one of the reasons is because I come from a Lyme disease background where like 99% of my audience that I've built up by writing five books on Lyme disease are still stuck in that Lyme disease paradigm where they think that chronic infections are the primary problem and they don't realize that mold toxicity is what ushers in chronic infections and that if a little mold avoidance is good, more mold avoidance is better. See, they don't know this. So this is kind of my slant. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, two basic, fundamental, widely agreed, non-controversial examples of how the body deals with problems that you should consider might also apply to mold toxicity. Just maybe. Maybe A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, whatever, Y is the same as Z. And maybe mold is not special. And maybe just like a dog, you should go away from your house for a while and then come back and sniff it like a dog 
and decide if it's causing some of your problems before you spend $17,000 on testing that doesn't even really work anyway. Why does the mold testing not work? Ermi tests, air tests, whatever. Well, there's a lot of reasons why they don't work. There's a lot of reasons. Um, but probably the most, you, you can probably find out what a lot of these reasons are on your own without me. But, uh, you know, if I was going to focus on one of the reasons that is not talked about enough, it would be that mold causes a lot more damage than people realize. And once somebody's in the cycle of mold damage, it's very hard for a test to be sensitive and specific enough for that individual to determine if their problems are being caused by mold. Because once you're already in that cycle of damage, you can get badly damaged. I've used the example before of let's say you're a weightlifter and you bench press 200 pounds. And then you really badly injure yourself and maybe you can't even bench press five pounds because your muscle's torn, right? Well, the mold test is looking for 100 pounds of mold with the analogy, not actual pounds, right? But some people are so sick that they can't even handle five pounds of mold. And this, you know, again, an analogy here, not actual pounds. And this is why, you know, we've had the saying that in order to kickstart detox, you might need a proverbial tent in the desert. And it doesn't mean a literal tent in the desert. It just means getting more clear of mold than you even thought you needed to, to reverse that because mold is so damaging, right? So that's just one reason why testing isn't always going to work. But, but I mean, you guys, it's not like a sabbatical is that complicated, right? Like nobody's saying you have to hire Elon Musk to take you to Mars for three weeks and survive on Mars two years to get there, two years to get back and then go back to your house, right? Like I could understand people being like, oh, Brian, that's sabbatical. You know, we know, you know, why are you even talking about that? But it's not that complicated. It's not even that hard. Taking a mold sabbatical, you can do it for a couple hundred dollars, right? I mean, you could buy a tent at Walmart, buy a few new clothing items at Walmart and, uh, and go camping for a week. Or if you hate camping, you can go to a hotel. And I know some people are like, oh, I can't afford a hotel. Give me a break. You've already spent $50,000 or more on your chronic illness. You can afford $2,000 at a hotel, um, especially if you do the math in your head and you say, hmm, if this gives me my answer, it's gonna save me so much money in the future, right? So, I mean, this is all for you guys to figure out. I'm just trying to give you the basics here. Um, a dog will return to something it thinks is making it sick and sniff it and walk away. A dog will do that. A dog. Yet our doctors are telling us not to do it. So in closing, I hope that these two examples, these two very specific examples of basic animal behavior will open your eyes to the fact that mold avoidance isn't that weird. It's just not that weird. It's just that for whatever reason, you can be the judge Society has decided that mold is Z and every other insult or injury that you encounter as a human being is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y. And that you should think of everything else differently. And that when you get a scratch on your leg and it's healing and it's scabbed over, yeah, sure, there's an intensification process happening there. Anybody rubbing on that scab is going to feel more intense. It's going to rip the scab off. It's going to start bleeding. It's going to start the healing process over again. We know that. That's intensification. A skin uh, insult is going to be more intense on that area that's healing. Or nobody questions that, right? But you should think that Z is different and that the feeling of mold being more intense 
and more damaging during recovery. Oh, that shouldn't happen. Oh my gosh, what is going on? This is so weird. It doesn't make any sense. I don't believe it. It's so out of the, it's not out of the ordinary guys. It's not right. It's not, it's not. In fact, the, the process of healing from mold illness is kind of just as similar, very similar to these other examples we've talked about in this podcast. They're, they're, it's actually not out of the ordinary at all. It's not at all different from any other way the body heals. It's actually the paradigm that the medical establishment tries to shove down our throat of instead of avoiding what's hurting you, take a supplement. Instead of avoiding what you suspect is hurting you to find out if you feel better or if it causes some sort of reaction like you would do with any other insult, do a test, right? It's it's special. The medical establishment tries to make mold injury special. And by doing so, they confound and confuse and convolute a process that humans already know through many other kinds of life experiences how to deal with and how to handle. And even a dog knows. A dog's nose knows. Wait a minute. Did I just make that up? Or is that like a famous quote? A dog's nose knows. A dog's nose, N-O-S-E, nose, K-N-O-W-S. A dog's nose knows. A dog's nose knows if the food in front of it is going to be bad and it'll sniff it and walk away. And we know too, as humans, we know all this stuff. What I did in this podcast is not tell you something new. I just pulled the curtains back on what you already know and we're trying to take a hatchet. You know what a hatchet is or, or like a machete? In You know, you ever seen someone cut through jungle plants with a machete, like trying to cut a path through their village in the jungle, just slicing out the bushes and the plants to get, get a clear path? You know, like... like um. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson in, in like Jumanji or something, the movies that my kids watch, they walk around the jungle and hack plants out of the way. We're trying to hack away the garbage paradigm, the garbage brainwashing, the garbage propaganda, the garbage capitalism and commercialism of medicine to get to this shining epiphany of basic information that a dog knows. Thanks for listening, guys. Just my normal disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. I don't expect you or even I would ask you not to take anything that I say as medical advice. Um, if you have a medical problem, consult a doctor, not me, and realize that this podcast is just a non-medical professional sharing my own personal opinions and experiences.